you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. We're looking at Luke chapter 9, we're going to start at verse 46, we'll be going through verse 62 through the end of the chapter. Luke 49, verses 46 through 62. Be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear now the word of the Lord. An argument arose among them, as in the disciples, as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side, and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and he rebuked them, and they went on to another village. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first... But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. As you do, if you would please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray, amen. As we begin this morning, I just wanted to mention again the fact that we are having our 30th anniversary next week. As Bill mentioned this morning, we are going to be starting earlier. Uh, We are going to be starting at 10 a.m. And I'll be honest, the reason that we're doing that is it's because it's going to be a longer service. So I'm just going to prepare you for that. Uh, We're not just going to have one sermon. We're not going to have two sermons. (laughs) We're actually going to have three. Uh, We're going to call them homilies. Uh, I promise they will not all be a half an hour long. But we have the privilege uh, of having uh, Steve Irby with us, 
uh, Steve Sanford, and uh, myself as well. Uh, it is going to be a little bit more involved, but uh, this service is also 30 years in the making. Uh, God has been very faithful to Trinity, to Northside, over the last 30 years, and uh, it's worth celebrating what God has done in and through this church. And so we're going to take a little time to celebrate the Lord and what He has done, His faithfulness to this congregation. And uh, because it's going to take a little bit longer and we also are going to celebrate communion, uh, we're going to start at 10. Uh, there's also going to be a little bit different of a seating arrangement. Uh, a lot of people have RSVP'd. We're going to get some visitors who are coming in who have, have been here previously. So we're actually going to move these benches up here and there's going to be a couple of rows of chairs. So we're going to be looking at each other as well as we worship. Uh, it may seem awkward at first. Um, but uh, that's uh, just what we're going to have to do in order to pack the people in. As you can see, we're already pretty tight as it is. So um, just wanted to prepare you for that. As Heath mentioned, we're also going to have a new bulletin format. It's going to be all sorts of exciting things. Um, but uh, the whole weekend is going to be a very special time. Uh, not to celebrate us, but honestly to celebrate what the Lord has done. He has been so faithful. He has been so true. Uh, and we get to celebrate that. Uh, very, very much looking forward to that service. But before we get there, God has brought us to Luke chapter 9 this morning as we've been going through this gospel uh, that Luke has written for us uh, so that we might know for certain the things that we have been taught. And in uh, the chapter 9 that we've been going through the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at uh, Peter's confession of Christ, this cost of discipleship, what it means to actually believe this confession, that Christ is the Lord. And uh, we get to see the disciples' reaction uh, as well this morning, and uh, what it means uh, to be fit for the kingdom. This morning, through these, these verses, we'll see that fitness for the kingdom of God displays itself in three ways, through humility through mercy, and through an understanding of the urgency of the gospel message. So first of all, let's look at humility this morning. Uh, as I was reading this passage, I heard a few chuckles from the congregation from that first verse, because we see an argument arising among the disciples as to who of them is the greatest. Uh, I can imagine the scene. Uh, we just read about the transfiguration over the last couple of weeks where Jesus took three of his disciples, his closest three. He took Peter, James, and John up on top of the mountain. They got to see Moses and Elijah to see this glory cloud of the Lord, to hear God speaking out of that. And as they're coming down, the other nine disciples, what are they doing? They're trying to cast out a demon and they can't do it. So, I don't know if it's Peter and James and John who are saying to the others, you know what, we're more special than you guys. We got to go up on the mountain, you didn't. And while we were up there, what were you guys doing? You couldn't even cast out a demon. Uh, I think that means that we are greater than you. Uh, I don't know what the interaction was like. Um, but honestly, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised because I know myself. And if we're honest, we know ourselves as well. Um, we all have a little bit of pride, sometimes even more, in our hearts. So I'm not surprised that they are having this argument. I am kind of surprised that they're doing this right in front of Jesus. 
Because you can imagine how he's going to respond to this. And what does he do? He takes a child and he puts his arm around him and he says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you need to receive children. Because if you receive children, you receive me. And if you receive me, you receive my Father in heaven. He says, for he who is least among you all is the one who is great. Jesus is calling them to humility. John immediately responds by bringing up a, a, an issue that has been on his chest for a while. I imagine that this has been kind of stirring inside of him. He's looking for the right time to bring it up. And so he does. He says, you know what, God, Jesus, uh, we've witnessed this man who has been casting out demons. He's doing it in your name, but we think he should stop. And we told him to but he hasn't. Obviously, he's anticipating at this point that Jesus would agree with him, but Jesus doesn't agree. He says, don't stop him. If he is not against you, he is for you. What's going on with John right here? This is the Apostle John, who later on will will write the Gospel of John, which is a beautiful Gospel. Uh, The first, uh, second, and third letters of John, where he talks about the love of, uh, especially in 1 John chapter 4, the love that God has for us. Uh, we're going to see in just a minute with another story as well um, that John has a lot to learn at this point about what it means to love. But John is jealous. This man is drawing a crowd. He's gaining reputation. This man's not taking away anything from Jesus because he's doing this in Jesus' name. He's taking away from the disciples, honestly. Um, He's drawing more attention to, uh, to Christ and away from the disciples. The disciples aren't so special anymore. In fact, nine of them couldn't cast out a demon, and this man is. They don't like that. They're jealous. In both of these situations, Jesus is calling his disciples to a life of humility. First of all, receiving a child requires humility. We have a lot of children here in this church, and that is a wonderful thing. But when you receive a child, what you need to do is to put the needs of that child above your own. There are constant thoughts that are on your mind of of food, of milk, of formula, of diaper changes, of clothing, of nap times, of keeping them safe, of of raising them, uh, of disciplining them. Parents place the needs of their children above their own. The times that we read about parents in the news, uh, when they, um, the, the horrible stories that we hear sometimes of neglect, it's because parents are not putting the needs of their children above their own. And it is sad. Um, the definition of being the least, of showing humility, is placing the needs of others above your own, where you don't care about your own greatness. Instead, you're seeking out the good of other people, and ultimately, you're seeking out the glory of God. This is John's issue right here. He's not seeking out God's glory. He's seeking out his own glory, his own greatness. And you know what? It is easy for us to be like John, to, be, to have that jealousy uh, for those of you who are in high school, or if you can remember back to your time in high school, 
um, there's a lot of things to be jealous about. Friends' reputations, their popularity, you look at others' phones, the cars that they drive, the fact that they can drive a car, um, uh, the relationships, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Um, jealousy happens a lot when you're in high school. But jealousy doesn't end there. It sticks with us. We get jealous of others in our jobs, of other people's successes, of promotions or raises that other people get, uh, accolades that they receive. Uh, if you spend any amount of time whatsoever on social media, this is a struggle that we have. We see other people's lives, their houses, their vehicles, the vacations that they go on. Uh, my nephew and niece, um, I guess niece-in-law, uh, you could say, are on vacation right now at the beach in North Carolina. That looks great. Wouldn't I love to be on the beach in North Carolina? Of course. Um, that would be wonderful. Um, jealousy is, is, a, is a feeling that often creeps up. Um, and pastors are not exempt. Uh, we look at other people's or other pastors' ministries, other pastors' churches, um, their, uh, other pastors, the size of their libraries, how many books they have, uh, their Twitter following even. Um, we get jealous, and um, it is uh, something that affects us all. But Jesus calls us here to a life of humility. He says to become the least. Because if we don't humble ourselves, God will. Proverbs 15, verse 25 says, The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but He maintains the widow's boundaries. You know what? One of the, one of the quickest ways for us to be humbled is to have the truth of our sinful hearts revealed. How many times have we seen Christian leaders humbled by this besetting sin that is in their lives, that is some, in some way brought to the forefront, and they are brought from their lofty position, and they are brought down. They are immediately humbled. Imagine if we had kept that screen up here that, that Marie was using this morning. And imagine if we picked out someone from the congregation. And on that screen, instead of displaying what Marie has been doing uh, in the Middle East, we started displaying video clips of a person's life, of all of their sins from this past week. I wouldn't want it to be me. And to be honest, that would probably be, if it was me, that would be a long video to watch. That would be an immediately humble experience. And to be honest, I wouldn't want to stick around. If that's what you guys were watching, my sin, I would be out those back doors in a hurry. Um, that would be very humbling. When God reveals our sin to us, He humbles us. And this is an important part of the Gospel. We need to know the awfulness of our own sin. And knowing our sin leads to humility. Growing in the knowledge of our own sin leads to a constant humbling in our lives. Something that we always need. The doctrine of total depravity is, is so important here. Because as soon as we start to think, you know what, I'm not that bad. Our humility is gone. And honestly, Christ's work on the cross is gone. We feel like we don't need Him 
because we are capable. You know what? My sin is not that bad. I can handle it. But in reality, we can't. God tears us down. He tears down our spiritual pride. We need this healthy sense of who we are, that we are sinners. And it's okay to admit our sin because Christ has paid for it with His precious blood. And we can say God is great, not me. As we believe the Gospel, humility develops in our hearts. Let me say that again. As we believe the Gospel, this is when humility develops in our hearts. Not only humility, but also mercy as well. Luke tells us an interesting story next here. Jesus is setting His face towards Jerusalem. It's all downhill from here. He is facing Jerusalem. He is, he is facing His suffering and His death. He is, he is heading towards where He will be persecuted, He will suffer, and He will die on the cross. He knows this is coming. And He is setting His face towards Jerusalem. And to get there, He needs to go through Samaria. So he sends some people ahead to make, preserva- uh, to make preparations, and he is not received well. I think that is an understatement. Um, the Samaritans uh, don't like Jews. Jews don't like Samaritans. And because Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem, they are not excited that he is there. James and John show their true colors here. They desire that they would call down fire from heaven. Um, Allah, Sodom, and Gomorrah. But Jesus rebukes James and John, and they move on uh, to another village. So what's happening here? Um, what's happening here is that there's a right reaction. <laughs> right reaction here. Uh, I'm sorry, right feelings here, but a wrong reaction. Right feelings, but a wrong reaction. It is right for James and John to get upset that these people are not receiving Jesus. In a sense, they're saying, don't you know who this guy is? This is Jesus. You can't reject Jesus. He is the Christ. How dare you treat him this way? But they react in the wrong way. Because what they do is they seek judgment rather than mercy. James 2 verse 13 says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's not James and John's place to judge. It's God's place to judge. Romans 12:19, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God also does not delight in the destruction of the wicked. He is not a bloodthirsty God. In Ezekiel 18, verse 23, the prophet writes, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? Luke is showing us here that our fitness for the kingdom of God is displayed in our willingness to show mercy. Marie mentioned this morning, and there was a couple of questions about ISIS and what's going on in the Middle East right now. Uh, we've seen uh, the, just the horrible things that are happening right now. Uh, the beheadings that have been happening. The, the persecution of Christians. My question for us this morning is, how do we feel about these radical Islamic terrorists? 
As Christians, how should we feel about that? Should we want to be like James and John and want to call down fire from heaven on them? Is that what God is calling us to do? Let me caveat this. Uh, As American citizens, should we be trying to push back evil in the world? Absolutely. Absolutely. And should they be held accountable for their actions? Yes. Absolutely. But what do they need? They need the truth of the gospel. They need us as Christians to show them mercy. Yes, there should be justice. But what do we desire to see? Their utter destruction? I'll be honest, that's how I feel sometimes. Or should we as Christians desire to see them be transformed by the truth of the gospel? It's very hard for me to say that because I see what's going on. But as Christians, mercy triumphs over judgment. How can we possibly summon up the courage, the the strength to show mercy to people who we know are acting in such a way, who are doing so much evil? The only way that we can show mercy is because we ourselves have been shown mercy. Mercy is something that grows in our hearts as we confess our sins and as we believe the good news of Jesus Christ. As we understand this, the depth of our sin, the awfulness of the things that we do, we are brought to humility. We've already established that. When we see the mercy that God has shown for us in Christ, then it leads us to show mercy. So imagine the scene I, I depicted before, that our sins being broadcast on this screen for everyone to see. How awful that would be. Like I said, if it was me, I would not want to stick around. I'd want to walk out of here. But in that moment, I believe that Jesus, i just picture this for a second. Um, I know that Jesus in bodily form is now up in heaven. But Jesus would meet us at the back of the room. He would put his arm around us. He would bring us back in here. He would shut down the video. He would put away the screen. He would say, your sins are forgiven. He would say, I have washed them away with my blood. And he would say that he loves us. This is the mercy that we have received in Christ. The only way that we can show mercy to one another is because he has first shown mercy to us. So as we live in this kingdom of God, to be fit for the kingdom, we need humility. The gospel brings us to humility. The gospel also allows us to show mercy. But as we live in this kingdom, we also need to understand this sense of urgency. You know that feeling that you get in traffic when you're running late? That there are so many cars ahead of you, they're all stopped, you get stopped at the red light that you never get stopped at. 
you're looking down at your watch and you, you just have this angst inside of you, like, I've got to get there. Uh, you're going to try and do everything that you possibly can to get there. Um, I have that feeling, and I hate that feeling, that weight in the pit of your stomach, uh, that anxiety. Do whatever you can uh, to get to where you're going. Um, we've seen in chapter 9 here in Luke the cost of following Jesus. Luke 9, 23 and 24 says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So we come to these people here that encounter Jesus uh, as they are traveling along the road. The first person says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. But Jesus warns him what it will take to follow him. It's not going to be easy. You won't have a soft pillow to lay your head every night. We don't stay in, uh, in, in cushy accommodations. Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but not so the, the Son of Man. He has no place to lay his head. Second person comes and says, let me bury my father, then I will follow you. Uh, just understand this. Uh, it's likely that his father is probably not dead at this point. What he's saying is, let me take care of my father until the point where I will bury him, and then I will come and follow you. Uh, this is a good thing, to take care of your parents. But Jesus is stressing the urgency here. What he's saying is that the urgent thing to do is to proclaim the kingdom of God. The third person comes along. He says, well, let me say goodbye to my, to my family, to my friends, those who are in my house. But the problem is, is that you cannot plow a straight line if you are constantly looking back. If you're looking over your shoulder to what is behind you, uh, to what, what has been, uh, you cannot follow the straight path. Jesus is calling us to urgency. You know, in Luke 9, 20, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ of God. And later in Luke 9.35, we hear this voice out of this cloud. It's the voice of God saying, This is my Son. This is the Chosen One. Listen to Him. If this is the truth, if this is true, then this changes everything. David Gooding in his, in his commentary on the book of Luke says this, he says, if Jesus is God's Son, our first duty is towards Him. A man who considers that he has a prior duty to fulfill before he is free to become a follower of Christ has no concept of who Christ really is. You know, we stress the fact that God is a sovereign God, and He absolutely is. But I feel that sometimes our belief in God's sovereignty is a hindrance to our sense of urgency. We know for a fact that God will work. He will accomplish His will. And I feel like in me and in us who stress this, it causes a laziness in us. Well, if God's going to do it, He's going to do it with or without me. Does it really matter what I do? Jesus is telling us, yes. There is a sense of urgency to the kingdom. God is calling us to kingdom work. 
we think, you know what, if my neighbor, if my coworker, if my family member is going to be a Christian, God will do it. He'll do it with or without me. But if we understand the urgency of the kingdom, the fact that God uses us, we'll have that feeling in the pit of our stomach. That we have been given these opportunities to be used by God to share the good news of the gospel with those He has placed in our paths. We don't have to be like Marie and go to the Middle East. He may call some of us to do that. But He has called us to do that here. To have that sense of gospel urgency. And if we really understand the urgency of the gospel, the urgency of the kingdom of God, it will cause us to be humble. It will cause us to show mercy. It will cause us to be more prayerful. It will cause us to be more concerned about what the things that are really important. So in conclusion this morning, fitness for the kingdom of God displays itself through humility, through mercy, through understanding of the urgency of the gospel message. And as always, these are not things that we can simply conjure up in our hearts. Do not think to yourself, well, I just got to go be more humble. I just got to show mercy to people. I just need to be more urgent in that. Let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts. What we need is to believe the gospel. Let the knowledge of our own sin drive us to humility. That God is God and we are not. Let us understand the depth, the awfulness of our own sin. That we are not great, but God is. Let this drive us to show mercy because we have been shown mercy in the gospel. That despite the fact that we are sinners, Christ has died for us. So let us be encouraged this morning to believe the gospel. In the book, when we were studying the book of Galatians, we were using a, um, a commentary by Tim Keller, and I love his definition of the gospel. It says the good. This is the gospel. It's the good news that we are more wicked than we ever dared to believe, yet more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared to hope. Now let us live out our belief in the gospel through humility, through mercy, and with a sense of urgency. Let us pray. Father, our prayer this morning is very simple. I pray that you would reveal the gospel to us. That you would remind us of the good news that we are sinners. That we are more awful than we dared to believe. I pray that that knowledge would set us free. Because despite the fact that we are sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That we have been shown more mercy than we could possibly imagine. That you have poured out more love on us than we could possibly pour out in a lifetime. That you have accepted us that we are now a part of your family through faith in Christ, that we are adopted sons and daughters of the King. I pray that this knowledge would drive us to humility, drive us to mercy. Lord, create in us a sense of urgency to be witnesses for you here in central Arkansas and to the ends of the earth. Use us 
Lord, use us as we take up our cross and as we follow you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.